My, my two little kids, uh, Wiley and Scout, they have to have a nightlight. When they go to bed, they have to have a nightlight because darkness is scary, right? And so the nightlight helps comfort them. It allows them to see the things around them in the darkness because the things that are being uh, shadowed in darkness can be scary. The things you don't know tend to be scary. Now, Wiley and Scout um, also share a room. And one aspect that I didn't talk about on Wednesday is that Wiley and Scout will not go to bed without one another. It just will not happen. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, Wiley has spent a night with a friend. We had Scout. Um, and she's got, she's got older sisters, but, you know, they're not, they're not her brother. So uh, she's like, what all afternoon, what am I going to do at bedtime? What am I going to do at bedtime? What am I going to do at bedtime? All afternoon, she is so worried about bedtime because her brother is not going to be there. What is she going to do? So bedtime comes around, and now she's kind of panicking, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to say? Because I'm not going in there alone, right? Because she finds comfort with someone there, right? And so we, uh, we came up with this great solution. You can just sleep in our room, right? Because she needs someone there. And you get to a season like this, and, and one, of the, one, of the, one of the main, I think, reasons that we, we have a season, a Christmas season like we do, and one of the reasons why the church tends to focus on the birth of Christ is because the reality and the truth that a God would not just send us to our dark room, but come lie in the room with us is a wonderful, life-changing truth. And we find out that reality that life-altering truth and story. I want to turn for just a moment to the Gospel of Matthew. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, we find out that this virgin pledged to be married is going to have a son through the Holy Spirit. And her fiancé, Joseph, is going to, finding out that she is pregnant, and thinking the only way that this can possibly happen is not the way she says it has happened, is planning to, to quietly leave her, an uh, angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. And that's where I want to pick up for just a moment. I want to read verses 20 through 23 for just a moment, because the angel gives us this life-altering truth to Joseph in this moment. And as Joseph considered this, leaving Mary... The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill, to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And there it is. There's the truth. There's the life-changing truth that God is coming or came to be with us. And this whole concept of not only Christmas, but this time that we're going to spend and study together in this place over the next three weeks is this idea that the fact that God came to be with us is proof of all we need that God came for you to be close to His heart. God didn't send you to His room into the darkness and say, figure it out, hope you make it. He goes with us in the darkness. Now, we could go and look in the Gospel of John, the beginning of the way John begins his Gospel, and we could very quickly find out that God coming to be with us, as Matthew puts it, Emmanuel, that God coming to be with us for the Gospel of John is a bringing of light into the darkness. And John will spend a lot of his epistles talking about this light that, that comes in and brings light into the darkness of this world. But God comes to be with us. And as Matthew uh, uh, tells the story of Jesus' birth, he tells the story of Emmanuel. And I think it's important as we kind of set this up, as we get into this for a moment, that Emmanuel isn't simply title. No one calls Jesus Emmanuel. In fact, the angel says, you will name him Jesus. But he is Emmanuel. It is description of who he is. And who is he? 
He is God in our presence. And the God of the universe, the God of all creation, the God that came to this earth, came here for you. And He holds you and all of your mess and all of your baggage. He holds you with all of your wild thoughts. He holds you, a broken, hurting person, He holds you close to His heart. And I think that's why Emmanuel is such a fitting description. Because this light comes into this darkness, but this light comes with us. Now there is something that we don't tend to pay a lot of attention to with something like this. There is a great tension in this kind of story. We get that tension. We could go back and we could read through Matthew chapter 1 and most of chapter 2 and we could find this great tension that exists, right? You don't have to go very far to find the tension in the story. There is a young lady who is a virgin and she's having a baby. And all of this creates tension within the family and within the community and within the story of God. And yet God works in the tension. Doesn't he? And one of the things that I want to acknowledge here this morning is the idea that you are here at and in and close to the heart of God creates tension in your life. See, we come into this place and we expect, especially this time of year, we expect messages that encourage and fulfill us and bring comfort to the idea that God came to be with us. And we ought to find those things, but we ought to recognize that the mere truth that we are here in God's heart, that we are held close to Him, creates a tension in our lives. And here's what I mean by this. Let's very quickly... I want to build this idea of tension for just a moment. So I want to do this with three texts very quickly. I'm going to run through three different verses to help create this idea of tension and kind of hopefully bring us all into the same page of this idea. Psalm 147, verse 3. The psalmist says this about God. It says, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Now, it's a lovely verse. It's probably on your wall somewhere, right? You probably highlighted it and you like it, but you also wonder when you are brokenhearted, does it ever feel like God is binding up your wounds? Psalm 23, verse 4, well-known psalm. And in the middle of this beautiful psalm of God our shepherd, there's this aspect to this, uh, to this idea that God is with us. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we read verses like that. And I think at times, we do find comfort in the presence of God, but we wonder, why in the world do I even have to walk through the darkest valley to find you, God? How about something out of Romans chapter 8, verse 18 in particular? The Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings, as he writes to the church, to all of God's people, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I'm guessing there's probably a time or two where the Apostle Paul, imprisoned and beaten, wondered, why do we have to go through present sufferings for the glory of God to be revealed? And I'm wondering if there are moments and times in our lives where we have to, where we wonder and, and think of these moments. God is with us, yes, but why in the world must I be broken to find God? Why do I have to walk through dark valleys to be comforted? Why must suffering exist for my companionship with God to grow closer. Because each and every one of us find ourselves in dark valleys and brokenhearted moments. We find suffering in this world, and yet we are confronted with the truth that God is with us. And God with us, while real and a truth and a life-altering truth in our lives, does not just 
sweep away the reality that we hurt from time to time. We can think of it this way. Sorry, this isn't bigger, but it's a rubber band. I think this is experience personal, experience as a minister, but I think in a lot of ways, we try to separate these two ideas. God with us, Emmanuel, is a lovely concept that we want to embrace and hold on to, but we want to hold on to it in moments where we are not broken or not walking through dark valleys or going through suffering because those ideas create tension. And so the rubber band helps us with this. Again, sorry, I didn't get a bigger rubber band. But the rubber band in of itself creates tension, right? The more you pull on it, the more tension you have. And I think this is what Scripture does. And if I'm being really open and honest with you, I think Scripture does this on purpose. Creates tension within our lives. And we tend to be people who don't like this kind of tension. God with us. Oh, but I'm walking through a dark valley and there is a lot of tension within texts like this. Because we come into a place like this and we wonder, how does Emmanuel, how does Christmas, how does God with us, how does that change me? How does it affect me? What does that do for me now when I am anxious, when I am hurting, when I am grieving, and when I feel loss? It creates tension. And there is something that is called healthy biblical tension. And it is worth confronting and accepting and exploring. And we find it in the text like this because if we are being honest with ourselves, Tension allows us to come out and to be honest with ourselves and honest in our spiritual walks and say something like this. I feel like I'm out here. God says I'm in here, but I feel like I'm outside of the heart of God. You tell me, preacher, you tell me that God is with me. You tell me God came to die for me. You tell me that God gave us His Son and he, and he called Him Emmanuel because He loved me so much He came to be like us. But if I'm being honest with you, preacher, there is tension in my life and I feel like I am outside of the heart of God. How could God love me? How could God hold me? How could God be with me through the darkest valley when I can't see anything around me? How could God be with me in my present suffering when the last thing that I want to do is confront the idea or hold on to this nice, hunky-dory idea that God is with me and He holds me close to His heart when I feel outside of Him? This is the Christmas sermon you were hoping for. But this is real, isn't it? And Christmas brings up all these wonderful moments. We, we hear it on the radio. We see it in the news. We see these wonderful stories. We hear about these stories. We're bringing gifts to bless families and all this joy and all this, this good, tides, good tidings and all this wonderfulness that comes out of Christmas. And yet, if some of us are being honest with ourselves, there is a tension because we feel that we are not close to the heart of God. You don't have to look very far to find that tension in that reality, do you? I see it just in my own family. Right? I've experienced it, Lord, and I have experienced it in our marriage. We see that tension when we moved to Edmond nine years ago. We felt like outsiders. Right? There are times where we still feel outside of. I see this in my kids' lives, whether it's through friendship or schoolwork or, or, or in aspects of just being a child, right? You see this just in, just in your little bubble in your own family life, this tension that is created because while the idea and the story of God with us to comfort us in our darkest valleys and our present sufferings is a wonderful idea, I still feel feel the tension 
of being outside of the heart of God. What do we do with that? What do we do with that tension that just keeps pulling us and pulling us? And I think one of the things that we can do is a couple of things. And and I'm not going to brush aside the tension or the reality that you may be feeling in this place this morning that, yes, I feel outside of the heart of God. I do not understand or grasp the concept that I am close to the heart of God as you present it. I'm not going to brush that away. What I want to do is create a healthy framework for us as individuals and as community to confront the tension that is before us. I think Matthew begins to do that for us. Matthew does it in Matthew chapter 1 through the angel to Joseph, the father of Jesus, and he says, hey, don't, don't leave Mary. Mary is conceived with the, with the Son of God, and he says um, in Matthew chapter 1, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. This is through the prophet Isaiah, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But you know, Matthew also ends his story of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 28 with very similar language. I'm surely with you always, says the risen Jesus to the very end of the age. Now, what's Matthew doing from a literary standpoint? He's creating a bookend. He begins with the concept that Jesus, his, 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 his whole presence, his whole existence, his whole birth is to bring God with us. And guess what? Even in risen form, what does Jesus say? I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Matthew creates this wonderful theological framework for us to grab this tension because Matthew is all this tension of God being with us. There's a tension in the concept or in the idea because God's people don't have to look at God as simply someone who's going to be there. We now have a tension within us in our spiritual walks to see God as Emmanuel, and that is a reorientation to life in and of itself. And that's what Matthew's gospel is all about. The good news is not something that you simply study and something that you simply take hold of. The good news of Jesus Christ is reorienting your life to the truth that God is with you even in the tension, even in the darkness, even in the suffering, even in the unknown. We reorient, we reconfigure our lives to that truth. And here's the thing that Matthew really brings up. And here's where I really want to pull us in for the last few minutes of this particular message. This is not hyperbole. It's reality. This is not a spiritual concept so a preacher can get up and say something nice to you. This is reality. The good news reorients our life because God is with us. And He is with you. And you may feel outside of the heart of God, and that is okay to feel that and to know that, but God doesn't push you away, hold you at a distance. He is pulling you closer to His very inner being. God is with you, and you are close to His heart. And I know this because Jesus, God, Emmanuel, God with us, came for you. He came for me. So here's what I want to do with the last few moments that I have here this morning. I want to turn to John chapter 11 because there's a wonderful instance that I think helps continue to build the framework for this tension, okay? Now, in John chapter 11, if you want to turn over there, in John chapter 11, Jesus is with his disciples and he finds out that Lazarus is sick and then he finds out that he's died. Now, there's some wonderful things that go on in the first 16 verses of John chapter 11, but I'm trying to be very... Uh, trying to be a good steward of our time this morning. So I'm going to jump to verse 17. Because when Jesus finds out that Lazarus, a good friend of his, has died, Jesus decides he's going to stay for a little longer, a couple extra days. He doesn't rush to the family. Now Jesus does this, and he even says this in the first uh, 16 verses of John chapter 11, The reason he does this is to show, he wants to show the glory of God through resurrection as we continue to read through the story. Okay, spoiler alert. Now, let's pick up in verse 17. 
And I want to read verses 17 through 27, and I want to build out this framework and this idea of tension, and maybe you'll begin to hear it immediately through the story, because now we're going to pick up with Jesus' arrival uh, to Bethany, to the home of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. On his arrival, verse 17, Jesus found out that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, his brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Let's pause for just a moment. We're going to keep reading in just a second, but can we recognize the tension of the moment? If you had been here, Jesus, there was no hello, by the way, If you had been here, what is Martha's immediate thinking? She's grieving the loss of her brother and her belief in Jesus is so much in this moment that she just wishes she had been prayerful that God would do something miraculous and it didn't happen. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha takes takes the words of Jesus as, as a preacher's way of comforting in a grieving moment. If your brother, your brother will rise again, and what does she say? He says, I know he'll rise again at the day of your return, or of God's return. She sees it as a comforting preacher kind of scriptural, let me throw some Bible at you to help you feel good about the loss of your brother in this moment, and there is tension in the moment. Now, I want to jump over to verse 32. Mary finds out Jesus has arrived. Mary rushes over to Jesus. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, ready for the tension? Lord, if you had been here. It's almost as if the family had been talking about this, right? If he had just shown up, where is he? He's not here. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her saw her weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. Now, that begs the question, why would someone who knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the death be troubled? Verse 34, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. In the first verse you ever memorize, John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus knew Lazarus. He was close to him. And Jesus weeping shouldn't shock us because tension creates complication, doesn't it? And so maybe one rubber band doesn't do it justice. I got a rubber band ball. Laura was like, you bought that? I was like, yeah, I wasn't going to make that myself. (laughs) But you know what a rubber band ball is. It's a ball made up entirely of rubber bands. And so while we experience tension in different ways, probably the more accurate visual is the complicated tension of many things. And we see that in John chapter 11, right? I mean, we, can, we read John 11 from the end point of view, knowing what is to happen in the later verses of the, of the chapter, because we read the beginning of the chapter, we know the end of the chapter, and yet, and yet, 
because of the complications of feeling and tension of the moments, because I think John 11 is not one rubber band. It is many rubber bands of tension. Jesus wept. His friend is dead. People he loves are crying. Family and community are surrounding this family at this time. And you can imagine, because you have experienced these moments, the tensions that arise in a moment like this. And even knowing Jesus or Lazarus will be raised again, Jesus wept. So here is why I take away from John 11, verse 35. It's complicated. Our feelings, our emotions, the tensions to which you live in, some of you daily, are complicated. And it is a ball of tension and rubber bands all wrapped around one another in many different ways. And sometimes you don't even have the words to explain why you feel the way you feel because it's complicated. And if there's no better example of the complications of our feelings and the tensions in our lives, you don't have to go any further than John chapter 11, verse 35. Now, this time of year is incredibly complicated, isn't it? Some of you are in deep grief over loss. You are feeling the tension of family, of relationships. You are grieving the loss of family and friends. You are grieving the loss of tradition. You are grieving the loss of home, of place. You are grieving in many different ways. And sometimes this time of year, while everyone's being happy and there's anticipation and excitement in the air, you are grieving because it's complicated. And I don't think, I don't think God created emotion in a linear, one tension kind of way because God experiences the complications of all the emotions wrapped up into themselves. And God, Emmanuel, the God who came to be with you, understands the complicated grief and feelings that you may be experiencing today and this season. Um, I know I'm in this. Um, I remember the last time I uh, saw my grandmother, uh, February 2020, right before the pandemic was just like one of those segments in the news about something across the ocean, right? We were down in Texas. My grandmother um, lives in a memory care facility. And uh, my grandmother has not, uh, I don't think, recognized me in quite some time. But we went to go see her. I wanted to say hello to her. And I, one of the things I remember about that visit, I didn't know I, was, I wasn't going to see her for, you know, 18 plus months from that moment. But I remember being with my grandmother. Uh, Laura and I were with her. And... Um, she didn't do a lot of talking with me, and she wasn't saying words that you would understand. But if I mentioned Texas Ranger baseball, whoo, I got a conversation going. So I was just talking baseball with her. And it was one of the most precious, precious moments. I haven't seen her because I can't. That emotion... And that grief, it is complicated and it hurts. You know, I don't even like pecan pie, but I miss pecan pie because of my grandmother. No one's offered me a Dr. Pepper and pecan pie in a very long time. And I grieve that. And I think when we enter a season like this, where I think we put some very unfair expectations that you need to be happy and joyous, right? We feel the tension. But you need to know this. 
your tension and your feelings and your emotions, all of it is held in the hands of God Himself. And I want you to know, your grief is normal. Your grief is yours. No one gets to tell you how to grieve or when to grieve. It's yours, and there should never, ever be shame associated with your feelings about the loss of anyone or any experience or any place or any tradition. And I want you to know this. You have permission to grieve. Because your God understands and he holds the tension close to his heart. I'm not going to read the next verses, uh, Melissa, but you can read the end of John chapter 11 because here's the, here's the invitation. I'm going to make myself available up front this morning. If there's a need of any kind from this church or as your minister, please come find me. And beginning this, this morning, we will have one of our shepherds in the back during the invitation to help receive. This morning, John Fennell, uh, one of our elders will be in the back, and you can come to either one of us if this is a um, if this is a good opportunity for you to um, to uh, come forward or to ask the church for prayers or whatever the church can help with. Please come find myself up, uh, up front or John Fennell in the back this morning. We'll be more than happy as your church uh, uh, to to surround you in this place this morning. We'll sing one more song here this morning, but I want you to go and I want you to read on in John chapter eleven is you know what Jesus does in the middle of his silent weeping and crying, his complicated emotions? He confronts death head on. Lazarus had been in there four days, they said. Jesus said, move the tomb. He confronts the stench. He confronts the end. And he reclaims life. Even when we are weeping and we don't know what to do, God holds you close to His heart. That's worth. That's worth praising the Father, the God who came to be with us. Whatever you may be feeling, whatever complicated emotions and tensions there may be, it's worth coming forward. It is worth taking a moment and praising God who holds you close. Let's stand here.